Welcome to episode 23 of Cinemental. Now this I can do. I can't compete with you physically, and you're no match for my brain. I don't give a crap if you covered yourself in peanut butter and had a 15-hooker gangbang. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the movie podcast that we can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Hovicki, and as always, I'm here with my co-hosts, Hassan Godwin and Lathan Conger III. Our guest today is a true fan of comics and film, IT wizard by day, and spending his weekends overseeing Comics Carnival in Indianapolis. He also produces and occasionally appears on the You're Gonna Love This or Not podcast. Like many of us, a true Renaissance nerd. Mike Wycliffe, welcome to the show. Uh, hi. <laughs> I'm always, how, how, how how was that for a lead it was a little it was uh awful thick uh i i think i do i owe you 30 for that or was that more no 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 no, no just, would you like that would you like that on uh on account or on a yeah. small bills or? steve likes to allow you to to choose how you wish to compensate him you know ah, uh, <laughs> yeah I, I like to be surprised yeah you know. That way there's less legal liability also that you use a blind. Uh, that's, that's right. That's right. So I, I, I'm, I met Mike uh, in 2003. We both uh, volunteered to help out at the Palisades Toys booth at uh, Wizard World in Chicago that year. And uh, that's, that's where I first uh, crossed paths with Mike. And then I think there was maybe one other show after that that we were both at. Philly. And then, what's I think that? Philly. Yeah, maybe Philly. And then... And then I, I don't think I... I don't think we we've just, seen each other in person since then, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. no. And we just kind of reconnected via Facebook and Twitter, and uh, it's, been, it's been fun. So uh, it was nice to, to reconnect and uh, to find out that we had kind of both in a lot of the same arenas. So uh, it's, been, uh, it's been pretty cool. So I figured that having Mike on the show is a no-brainer. Plus, uh, his, his knowledge of, of, of comics, I guarantee, far exceeds mine for sure. And he's a film lover like us, so should be fun. So it all makes sense. Uh, and, I, and, and, I, and I have to say that his film choices did not disappoint. So, <laughs> uh, so we'll, uh, we'll jump right into some news that uh, may or may not give us some fits. All right, so I have two things. One of them, Latham will have something to say about, and uh, the other one... Uh, I'll definitely have something to say about that one, too. Uh, well, yeah, well, I think everyone will probably might weigh on in this, but um, so I'll, I'll lead with the Latham one. So Tenet, which Latham has seen, I saw referred to today as a baffling Time Cop remake with a supporting cast that is left largely unfulfilled and a little flat. Would you would you agree with that, Latham? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. That's I just a, I love the reference to Time Cop, though. That was my that was my favorite part of that capsule review. The greatest Van Damme movie that was ever made. <laughs> I didn't mind. I didn't mind Time Cop. Actually, I don't think I don't think that's even an insult. That's actually what I mean. It's the greatest Van Damme movie that he ever made. It probably it probably that or Hard Target. So um, I uh, 
I don't agree with that at all. I think that's a rookie review from someone who just got out of the theater Ooh. and was confused, much like I was when I got out of the theater. But uh, this is one of those movies that, you know, especially all of us having seen how many movies we've all seen, there doesn't come many movies anymore, at least on my end, that sit in your brain all night and you wake up the next day and all you're doing is thinking about it and realizing not only how great it was, but how much you want to see it a second time to figure out why it was that way. And this one is probably, probably at the top of the list, certainly his uh, Nolan's most confusing, but interesting film Um, to to say it relates to time cop. It's just not doing (laughs) The same thing with time travel as Time Cop did. I don't think any movie's done with time travel what this movie does. It's very unique. And like all of the Nolan mythology that he picks for each of his films, it's the the science and the, the premise is laid out and explained or shown through exposition what the rules are. And then once you know the rules, The fun part is watching the film abide by the rules for the rest of the way. And this one sets the rules up 20 minutes in and then you're off. And that's why it's uh, just thinking back, uh, the way I described it to a friend who I'm going to drag to it on Monday, our friend Carl. (laughs) Oh, nice. um, Is that it's, it's a primer on a big budget. I do love primer. Very good. Very good. You got to bump this guy up from tier three to tier two, Steve. He loves Primer <laughs> for pay. Can you do that? I can probably make some arrangements. Yeah, I can, I can move some stuff around. So, yeah, so that's an unfair review. And uh, it will, this movie will turn a lot of the general public off uh, because it's they won't extremely get it. difficult to follow. So, right. uh, but, but whereas, whereas Inception, I don't think is hard to follow. You can follow it as you're going and kind of catch up. This one, you never catch up, really. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> but but you see that as a good thing. Well, yeah, I I, I, I see it as a great thing. It was strange watching it at times because I, you know, I saw it with my daughter, and she just at times she just looked at me, and I just leaned to her and said, don't worry, I'll explain it after we're done mm-hmm. because she just didn't know what was going on. And then we found a great YouTube video uh, after after we saw the film, too, that really explains a lot of it well, but not all of it, even. There's a lot of mystery to it as well, too. So There's not. There's nowhere near enough films that elicit that sort of reaction being made. You know, not big budget you, you, ones, anyway. Well, you're, well, yeah, I mean, even still, dude, you're lucky to run across one of those a year, let alone yeah, one every sure. five. You know, I mean, Someone's really. Someone's trying to be clever, and then they don't, they don't follow through, but, right. you know. This yeah, I've one... seen Annihilation. Uh, yeah. Oh, did you think that one didn't follow through, Mike? Uh, I, apparently, I just poked a bear. I'm just going to not. No, no, no. I agree <laughs> with you here, man. I can move you up to tier one if you tell me the last part of Annihilation. <laughs> <laughs> we, we covered Annihilation, Mike. I don't know if you were listening to that I episode. think I've heard that one so far. Uh, <laughs> okay. I've, yeah. I, I, I listened to a bunch of them in succession. Uh, just to try and catch up and yeah. uh, cause I've got a huge backlog of podcasts I haven't listened to yet, but uh, I, I seem to remember there being some contention over annihilation. <laughs> there was. <laughs> there still is. At the end of the day, we're all big Alex Garland fans. 
<laughs> that's the important part. <laughs> so uh, the other thing uh, concerns New Mutants. Two days before this movie comes out, uh, a story comes out that word on the street had it, for, according to this guy reporting, that, that Fox wanted to reshoot the entire film uh, before it was even released or back in the early day, you know, that was one of the things that held up its release initially. Unreal. And that this was before, you know, you had any, cause I, you know, I'd said last week that a lot of the reviewers and stuff had said, you know, they weren't going to the, the review screenings. They didn't feel safe, you know, whatever that's, you know, there, but I'm, I'm getting increasingly upset at these stories that come out before a movie comes out that talk about that are essentially media hatchet pieces about entertainment properties that aren't being allowed to either make it or fail on their own merit. They're, you know, they're setting up ahead of time this idea that it's bad. Don't bother. And, and that is going to directly equate to how a movie does based entirely on the opinion. And listen, I understand film criticism. I do. And everyone has film critics that they, I don't want to say necessarily agree with, but, you know, they sort of align with when I was a kid, I always listened to Siskel and Ebert, just like everyone yeah. in the Chicagoland area did. Yep. And, you know, you, you know, you kind of knew the directions that they would go on films and, you know, generally. So yeah. you kind of had a guy that you said, oh, I'm more of an Ebert guy than a, than a Siskel guy. But Siskel event, you know, essentially likes some of the films that I do and, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, this is this is not that this is just the faceless sort of just hacking off at the ankles of a film before it even gets a chance to stand up. And that kind of stuff just drives me crazy because, you know, I like, and I've, I've stated before that I've, I've been waiting for this movie for a long time and not because I was a huge new mutants fan, but from the initial trailer, I thought the thing just fucking looked cool. And I'm just like, I want to see a superhero horror movie. I'm down. I mean, let's go. I mean, this is, this is cool. I mean, I, and I just, I don't understand the need, you know, they did the same thing to Josh Trank's Fantastic Four film to his detriment. Unfortunately, he did part of that himself, but in retrospect, they weren't wrong. That movie's, that movie's almost unwatchable, but you should still watch it to find out whether or not it's unwatchable. You shouldn't just, you know, a week before the movie comes out, people are saying, oh, the movie's unwatchable. Don't even bother. And I just, well, that, that kind of behavior drives me crazy. Stevie, the, the difference now is, and I agree with you 100%, the difference now is social media and the internet is, is immediate. Whereas before, we'd get the Friday edition of the Tribune and see the star reviews of the movies, and that was the earliest right. we had of any... <coughs> excuse me, news about the movie, so. Well, there's a cynical part of me that always likes to think that this, what it actually is, is the studio saying, we have no faith in this movie, uh, so you guys just go ahead and butcher it for us, and then when it doesn't make any money, hey, look at that, we, 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 we knew it wasn't going to make any money, it's not, on, not our fault, uh, or it's uh, Fox, you know, or it's Disney saying, hey, you know, Fox screwed the pooch on this one, so it's not our fault. Uh, we just kind of inherited this thing and everybody wanted to see it. So we said, okay. Yeah. He's <laughs> been in the can for two years, right? Uh, I think even longer at this point. Probably closer to three because it was supposed to come out in in February of 18. Yeah, we're like in Cabin in the Woods territory on this one. Yeah, it would have had to have been locked by, I would think, by the mm. end of 17. Wow, so. that's nuts. That's just nuts. Well, I mean, just but look yeah, at how young Maisie been. Williams is in a movie. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think the other main problem is that critical journalism has become entertainment 
in and of itself. Yeah. Yep. And so everybody skews negative to get clicks, you know, or to get <laughs> attention. So like you don't get a lot of, uh, you know, your, your video or whatever, your vlog or your, or your article won't get a lot of hits, won't get as many hits being positive about something as you do getting, being negative or starting a controversy or, you know, li- lighting a movie up, whatever. Um, Grace Randolph, who does a, you know, movie math YouTube channel, she said about when The Last Jedi came out and The Last Jedi it was just the first week or so that after it came out. So it was just starting to get a little bit of pushback, a little bit of like, you know, bad buzz because a lot of people weren't, you know, the, the, uh, some of the audience members weren't happy with the, the events in the movie. And she said, these were her exact words. Disney's got to get in front of this before the hatred for this movie becomes monetized. Wow. That's spot on. And yep. When people realize I can make a lot of money shitting all over this movie, then it's then regardless of what every, anybody's acumen is or whether they have went to film school or what, everybody suddenly becomes a, a cinematic expert. And they will watch two or three of the, you know, of the hottest videos on it. And then they will parrot the, you know, the complaints and then they will duplicate and then it duplicates and duplicates and duplicates. Literally, I, I remember talking to Dolce for the for the at the time it was a Sire podcast, but you know, um, we had missed our window because we neither of us liked The Last Jedi, so we had a grand opportunity to get a lot of clicks by just doing a a, a show where we just shit all over it for about an hour, and we did not do that. We did a review of it, we talked about not liking it, and then we moved on, but if we had done like four or five shows, it would, we, we would have upped our, um, there, there are a couple of YouTubers right now that have almost, uh, you know, half a million members, you know, after a steady succession of, you know, hate watch videos or whatever they do, all of which, all of, all of whom, excuse me, in English started usually around the last Jedi. They made one video about how much they hated The Last Jedi, and they got like 20,000 views or 100,000 views. And then a lot of people subscribed to their channels. So suddenly a lot of these guys are coming away with uh, forty to 50,000 subscribers, Now they're, which means that their videos, whatever vlog they make now, gets heavily monetized. You could, you know, sometimes you can make a living off of it depending on what, you, what the, you know, the length of the video or whatever the, the, the metrics are in order for you to be able to, to sustain yourself. And then, you know, you watch slowly the production quality of these videos start to improve, of these vloggers. You know, they started out in their basement and like, you know, 10 videos later because they're making some serious money from YouTube. Now they're in a specialized room or soundproof room with monitors all around themselves. And, you know, and now they, you know, they, they've, they appropriately, um, you know, uh, up the decor. They, they're surrounded by toys and DVDs and whatever to up their profile as experts on the. So that's what I'm talking about. But I mean, you can see it. You can see the. the you can see the, the the transition. You know, from from poverty to wealth for a lot of this, and and a lot of that is because people like to watch their videos, and a lot of that is because they do they do hate watch videos, yep. and then that gets the clicks. But once you have a business model of we will watch this, we will hate this, and we will make money, then there goes the integrity of all that, um, of, right. of all that journalism right. in and of itself. And then there goes the integrity of the entire genre. It's like what what happens if they actually like something? Do they just not review it, or do they just say they or they just say they don't like it? And it's all it's basically no. becomes, it basically becomes shtick. 
after a while, everybody starts to go to a corner. So it starts to turn into a, a culture war thing where you got like, you know, everybody becomes anti-SJW or they become anti-conservative or something. It always, eventually, everything skews political. And then so yeah. then they have their narrative at that point. I can like everything, you know, done by this guy. I cannot like anything with Brie Larson in it. I cannot like, you know, it, de- it depends. I mean, honestly, there are a couple of... Uh, YouTubers out there, literally the 150 Brie Larson, anti-Brie Larson uh, videos That's prior right. to prior to the dropping of, uh, of Captain, Marvel. Captain Marvel, you know, right. because she made a couple of com- off-color comments about, like, you know, diversity or whatever, and then, you know, that, that, that cracks bad. So, you know, they, 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 she was the easy target. She was fodder. Um, not, not talking about which side of that argument I come out on, um, the bottom line is once you can monetize, once your once hatred for your product becomes monetized, your product is finished. You know, there's there's a chance if you could if you could push it to um, on, on cultural means that you might get a counter backlash to the backlash, yeah, and then right. you you know, and then that's how some movies like say Black Panther or uh, Captain Marvel. Or Wonder Woman become billion dollar fr- well not Wonder Woman but I mean she came close become billion dollar franchises right and then sometimes you know you get your your movie gets sunk like say Solo right. although it's arguable what what were some of the the causes of the reason Solo didn't make any money but there was definitely a tremendous backlash to the last Jedi. It oh, didn't yeah. hurt because it's a Disney brand. It's Disney and Star Wars brand. So, they, you know, that's, and that's it was almost canon, a Teflon so. band. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't like it was a spinoff like Solo was. It was, you know, it's in yes. in, in line. So people are going to go see it no matter what, you know. So what's going to be interesting to see is, is I've, I've, you know, and I, I wasn't going to talk about Chadwick Boseman, but I've started to see this push online and I know Marvel is making a point of not talking about it because uh, I saw Ryan Coogler put out a very nice commentary or a nice uh, testimonial about, about Chadwick Boseman. And uh, he had talked about how he, you know, he'd been spending the last year, you know, writing words for him that he'll never speak, you know, because, you know, Kugler has been working on the script, obviously. And, you know, I've heard people talking. I, I didn't know this until some people brought it up and posted some images. Uh, you know, people are pushing that Shuri should take over as Black Panther. It's an existing character. It's, a, you know, it's canon. It's, you know, she has precedent as being Black Panther in the comics, which I didn't know about. So it's going to be interesting to see what direction Marvel takes this in. Because I don't think they're just going to let the franchise go. I, 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 I think that it's a money-making franchise. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Plus they, I mean, they've already locked in so many of their, their shooting dates. And so, I mean, they've got so many things riding on keeping all the plates spinning. They're going to have to do something. I don't think they'll recast. Maybe they'll Uh, just be a digital character. Maybe they'll, I honestly, it would not surprise me if they, do a digital character in another movie that gets killed. And yep. then it goes into Black Panther 2 where Shuri has to take over. But at the same time, it's really not fair to put that on her right now when the dude just died. Correct. And, and they were friends. Uh, and so that's just not fair to her. So right. I mean, I, I, let I, him sit with it for a little while. But knowing, knowing the 
you know, and this is, I've I've now created an acronym for this, by the way, Hassan. So thank you. This is called, I have now calling this the monk theory, which is the monetization of negative criticism, (laughs) M-O-N-C. So that was fast. Yeah. So uh, we were quick here. Um, So therefore the people that work inside of this are called monkeys, right? (laughs) Right. Right. This works. This all comes together. Um, That works. So what I'm thinking is, so the monkeys are going to jump on this. You know, if if in fact this does go that way, let's theorize for a second. And, you know, they do move Shuri into that position. You know, the you know, the same people, a lot of the same people who jumped on that position of of hating on any sort of female led superhero film because they are either either too naive or can't get out of their own brains enough to accept a, a, a strong female character. You know, this will be interesting to see what happens going forward with this. Like, like Mike says, you know, obviously it's way too early for any of this, you know, and, and, and completely unfair to push all this out there, but the monkeys w- are going to have a party. They, they will. They're, they're oh, yes. They're going to have a party. Eggs a hundred percent. So it'll be like, it'll be like Latham during a screening of uh, kingdom of the crystal skull. Right. Well, <laughs> the movie was better, better upon a recent viewing. Still not good oh, movie. But oh no! But it was oh. it wasn't better than what I gave it. But it, I remember the good parts about it. There's not many. It was more. There was. It was more a fond experience than all, than, all uh, two of them. <laughs> hey, that refrigerator was period. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> I mean, I might have even been in until he started swinging with the goddamn monkeys at the end of the hey, movie. Watch, so. Remember, Steve has not uh, uh, has not availed himself for the right. pleasure oh, of seen this movie yet. Well, you know what? That's like a <laughs> that's like a pop culture penalty. You're in the that's box right. for that that's one. Yeah, right. I'm in the box. Plus, I don't. I'm. I'm old. Come on. I'm dude. almost. I'm almost certain Steve's heard about the monkeys. Oh, uh, so, yeah, I'm not yeah. worried. I'm not really. I'm not really worried about spoilers on a ten-year-old movie. Well, it's not a spoiler. All right, there's no spoiler about him swinging with fucking monkeys. Okay. <laughs> so if, uh, if you're surprised and, and entertained by that, you deserve your misery. Okay. Oh wow! I if I need swinging monkeys, I will go to the video for uh, Coldplay's "Adventure of a Lifetime." I've never so, seen that. Oh, dude, you are missing out. Uh, so I do like Coldplay. All right. Before we, before Andrew. we get pulled into a new direction, uh, so uh, Mike's main film this evening <laughs> is *Delicatessen* from 1991, directed by Jean-Pierre Jeunet and Mark Caro, at the running time of 99 minutes. In a strange, murky, not so future past, an ex-circus clown working odd jobs moves into an apartment building filled with an array of truly bizarre characters. A butcher whose ability to find sources of meat for distribution to his tenants is suspect, an unemployed family man, a woman slowly being driven to suicide by strange voices, and the butcher's daughter, lonely, looking for an escape. All the while, a strange group of underground dwellers fight for the future of food as we know it. Mike, why delicatessen? It's just weird. Uh, No, uh... (laughs) Sorry. Uh, so it really is one of those things where it's a, it's this movie that I I actually I first saw City of Lost Children, which is yep. his second movie that is the much bigger known until you get to Amelie. I, I like this one more because it was there. It was the first one they did. It's a micro budget. They they poured everything into this, and you can tell. I mean, it, it's it's one of those movies that you can sit there and watch it and there is just so much going on in every little bit 
and you don't even realize you're being told a story at the same time until three quarters of the way through the movie. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, there's, it's a world building movie and I love that kind of stuff. And you'll see it in the other movie I've got too. You know, there's so much world building that goes on in the movie that the story itself is almost secondary. And I just love that. Yeah. My, I, I same, my first experience with Janae is, uh, was also, uh, well, actually, well, let me think now. Or was it alien? Yeah. I was trying to think if I actually saw resurrection. I probably saw resurrection first and didn't realize it was the same director because it just doesn't feel like him other than the cast. But, <laughs> but yeah, city of lost children was my introduction to that. The, his sort of worldview his his creationary world. And uh, I, I felt the same way. I, I saw the trailer for that and I was, I was, I was mesmerized by the trailer. And uh, when I finally was able to, to find a copy and see the, see the film, uh, I was, I was absolutely blown away. Uh, he is, he is a guy that I would compare to a young Sam Raimi when it comes to having a visual style or realizing the things I think he probably sees in his head and getting them actually transferred onto film. And I think that that alone, especially in the manner in which he does it, the way he sets up shots, the, the choices he has about, you know, where to push in, where to not to where, you know, just the, the view of things, you know, it's like, like Sam became famous for like that traveling camera, like the, like the camera is the bullet or the camera is the knife or the camera is whatever's flying through the air at that time. That was like Sam Raimi's bit. I feel that Janae has a lot deeper bag of visual tricks to dig into. I think that he has a lot more thing. I don't think there's any one particular shot that you can look at and go, oh, that's a Janae shot. But I think that he's got a lot of those that you can look at and be like, oh, my God. Yeah, I recognize that. But it's only because you've seen three other films that he's done. And uh, this, this is going to break. This is going to break Lay's brain. I have not seen Amelie, but I've seen I've seen this and I've seen Micmacs and I've seen City of Lost Children. What what's Micmacs? Yes, it's about what? it's about a group of uh, a group of people that take down two weapons manufacturers. What year? Uh, actually, I have where, where in their timeline? Uh, this was 2009 is when that came out. Oh, yeah. it's recent. Or it's, it's more his, recent. It's his second to last film. Or second to most recent film, I should say, not last. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't die yet, did he? No. No. No, he's actually got a film coming out in 2021 for Netflix. Nice. Um, but, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, 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 I had not seen Delicatessen. I, had, I, had, I hadn't heard much about it, so I was, I was happy that of that case. I think it's more of a case of... Oh, most people probably haven't seen it, so it's not something that gets talked about a lot. Loved it. Uh, it's one of those, it's, it's you know, I, I think, the, again, the visual, the singularity of visuals that, he, that him and Mark Carroll working together bring to film was kind of amazing. Uh, it's too bad they, you know, that Alien was the cause of them going their separate ways. I think it would have been real, I think it would have been really interesting if they would have shot resurrection like he would normally shoot a film i think that that way to bank people probably hate resurrection a lot less than most people do uh what was the basis of their falling out 
Uh, Caro did not want to be involved with a major studio production uh, or Hollywood American Hollywood. He he felt that they would not have the level of control that he kind of liked having. And he was right. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So he just went off to do illustration and, you know, you know, his own, his own thing, animation, illustration and whatever else. But yeah, so he, he, just split off from Janae. And uh, as far as I know, they, you know, I uh, listen, they probably remained friends. Or I don't know. It, you know, I, I, well, I kind of, I, I think it'd be interesting to, if they could get back together and, and, and do stuff again about who knows if that's ever going to be in the cards. But uh, one of the things that I did uh, just getting ready to do this, cause I was making sure I did my homework this time. I actually finally, <laughs> I, I, I watched it again. And this time I watched it with the commentary. Oh, uh, okay. But, I don't speak French, so I realized that the, uh, but the commentary has an English language uh, subtitle track. Okay. Uh, on my Blu-ray, so uh, so I was able to turn that on and then just watch and then just listen because I've seen the movie enough times that I don't need to hear right. them do the dialogue. Um, but uh, one of the things that he said is that Carol actually was behind most of the visual style. Uh, he, he uh, Janae actually. Uh, was more heavily into the writing and you know the the actual directing on the day but more of the visual style was more caro and i think that's why amelie is a lot less dreamy and micmacs is a lot less dreamy and t.s Bivet is uh, he might as well be an american movie except you know done through his lens yeah i i i, I get the sense just from the the little bit of of digging that i did on him that that caro was the of the two of them initially that he was really the one driving that sort of, you know, he's listed as artistic director on, on delicatessen, which led me to believe that he was kind of behind, uh, you know, more of the production design side of things, but that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I know that, that Janae was a self-taught director. He was, uh, you know, he had no formal training, you know, he was just kind of, you know, learning on the go. He was like 38 when his first movie came out. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's not surprising that, that that's actually the fact, you know, and, you know, clearly what he was able to pick up from Kara, I think he was able to translate and kind of work into his stuff and, and, and ha- again, have access to that bag. But you're right. There is a, after those first two films, there is a sense of, I don't want to say more grounded. I don't want, yeah, I don't want to say loss necessarily of, of, our, of artistic originality, but there's definitely a marked difference between those two films and, you know, the other right. stuff that came after. You got to see Amelie, though. I don't. I don't know if it's that far removed from Amelie. I think. Okay. That that's a, that's a magical film and and a special film, and I think it, his their signature is all over it. But what about Delicatessen? Uh, well, <laughs> for me, um, I I I saw it once back. What year did it come out? Ninety nine. Nine, I think. Yeah. Really that late? Wow. That's surprising. No, 91. 91, 91, yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, it was, it was while I was in college. So I saw it at the Fine Arts, and that's the only time I saw it. And so I, you know, I put it on yesterday, and I was happy that my original review of it mirrored how I felt about it this time. I liked it a lot. I think it's um, visually just a special film. Um, and you don't you think of it as a bigger film because – all the indoor sets are distinctive and set up, you know, art direction wise in a really fantastic way. But I mean, the whole movie takes place in one city block basically. And that's, it feels bigger than that. And that's hard to do um, 
you know, with a movie that at times feels like you're in a confined, you know, confined spaces. Right, like very much so. There were the all these rooms. Uh, the color schemes are the color schemes are great. The uh, the actors they chose, the casting is perfect. Um, it's just it's a very clever movie, and I, I like clever movies, and I think all their movies uh, are clever. So it's not a surprise, but it's fun to watch. You know they you know they set up they set up the premise right off the bat, and you don't really know what's going on in the first scene, but then you figure it out in the next couple scenes. And it's just, it's a joy to watch the characters, the new character come in, you know, Dodge the butcher and, and watch the other characters interact with them. And it's just, you know, I, this is a movie that's a lot of people wouldn't watch because it's a foreign film or whatever, but I think anyone can, can find it accessible and enjoy it. And um, I don't, you know, I don't really have any slights on it. I think maybe at the end, things got a little carried away. Um, but it's fun to watch the house fall apart or the apartments fall apart in the building. Uh, I'm always uh, a big admirer of scenes that involve a lot of water in a constricted area and then they have to release it. And they did a great job with that. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy it. It's a, I would never have watched it again if Mike hadn't chosen it. So I chosen it. So I'm glad, I'm glad he did. The, uh, what amazed me about it is, uh, his ability to set up all the characters in the building very quickly and establish them all yep. and, and flesh them all out very quickly. Like you yeah. saw exactly who everyone was from essentially the first time you see them in their apartments, you know, there, you know, obviously that first scene is in the main kind of area in the butcher shop and the delicatessen and you get a sense, you know, you don't really get a sense of who and what they are, but then, as soon as you get that next series of sequences and there's, you know, a, a short little, these short little scenes of them all in their homes and kind of going through what they're going through and where and what they are. And right. he sets them up so solidly in just a matter of a few minutes with each, with each character. It's, it's it, really good. It's almost like little vignettes, like four rooms or something. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, and he's, he's able to really to just set those characters up. So, you know, exactly who they are. And you're only, you know, 20, 25 minutes into the movie, you know, who everybody is and everything that's happening. And, and that's, I mean, that ability alone, you know, with a cast more of more than, you know, two or three people or four people uh, is, is, is impressive. Because I mean, listen, we've all watched plenty of movies where you can have a cast of three people in a movie. And by the end of the movie, you still don't know who fucking some of these people are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, in my case, most of them are dead anyway, and it doesn't really matter, but, <laughs> but even the ones that are alive, but. You get the idea, Hassan. Yeah. Uh, it, I, it was an experience. Um, I, <laughs> I knew. Were you familiar with Janae stuff? Yeah, before? I mean, I've I've seen a, a City of Lost Children and um, that's certainly uh, Aliens. I don't know if I've that's seen Amelie. So yeah, I mean, I had to recheck, like re reacquaint myself with his with his work. There is there is a dreamier quality about this movie. You're saying because of Caro. Caro's involvement with the with the uh, direction. Then there is say <laughs> with the uh, aliens, you know. But uh, resurrection, huh? Yeah, re- 
Alien, Alien Resurrection. Alien Resurrection. Like, all right, come on. You knew what I was talking about. Like, yeah, I know, but I just want to make sure. I want to make sure our listeners are. Uh, uh, I'm just saying. I want to make sure that they, that our listeners, understand that you know you're not talking about aliens. The hell with our listeners. <laughs> all right. Who cares what they think? Fine by me. What you think people might be pedantic nerds? No. What? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Like, it, come on, man. Nobody's checking for details. I think I think he's more. I think he's more in tune with the fact that he's things that I consider we have listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more in tune with the fact that they're gonna want. To I know of. I know of two. Okay, for sure. Who listen to the show right here? Three. Three. <laughs> well, now you got to make four. it four. Um, I think the mu- the movie is beautiful it's gross you know it's beautiful in a really murky kind of way it's a it's a monochromatic movie which is astonishing how few colors are actually in the movie because it feels like a rich and vibrant movie but it's mostly um it's mostly golds and and reds you know it is um but it but because of the way because of the quality of the imagery that's in it it makes you think that it's actually over richer stock of color, more, more broader, you know, color than it actually is. Um, the characters are, you know, like quirky, very French, you know, you know, um, and I don't really know how to describe that. It's not a pejorative. It's, uh, I don't know how to describe that in a better way than they're, you know, they're very French. They, there's not a lot of, um, as you say, they got right down to the point. There's not a lot of pomp and circumstance or not really, over interested in the cleverness of how each of these characters would be revealed or the you know the 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 uh the level of depth that is uh that is in each story it's not trying to to send you a message about anything it's none of that it just gets right to the heart of of the interactions with these characters and the as you said the plight of all these characters you know some of these people are freaking starving some of them are absolutely stock stir raving mad you know and it's and they're all just kind of living in this you know madhouse and you know slowly you know either slowly going insane or you know slowly getting better one of those one of those two um aspects uh the subject matters kind of i'm i'm not a fan of cannibalism now it's handled really that's a good yeah point. yeah i know i know I'm not a I'm fan. Not, of every time I've tried it, I've just not gotten into it. Um, it's um, so. What you're saying is, is you don't do the annual viewing of a live. Or Green Inferno? No, I do not. I do not. I've seen Green Inferno at least Green Inferno once. I can only sit through live alive once, and that live is a good move. My movie. my favorite part is when they put that fork in that dude's ass and like it's like a piece it's like a breast of a chicken it's like just like white meat and like he pulls it out and I'm always like I was just laughing at that. It probably tasted awesome. Did that? That's a great piece of ass. Yeah. Did that? Anyway, sorry Hassan, go on. Anyway. Cannibalism, not a fan. Gotcha. So, I was kind of really uh, iffy about this movie. Like man, I I better not see people like I mean, but it's really it's only mostly implied, which is really kind of great. Um, There's really only one scene of violence in the movie, and it's a dream sequence. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a fucked up sequence. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, you get the you get the one guy who gets shot. Oh, I forgot about yeah. that. And at the end, the guy, the, the, the guy gets the boomer yeah, in his head. Right. And that is a substantial. Right. It's just a handle stuck. That is a substantial so amount of knife that is in his head, you know? So. Yeah, I think that deep. It would take a lot of torque for that boomerang to come back and go that deep. Um, Very true. I don't know when what what circumstance would have led me to watch this, to sit down and watch this movie without this, you know, circumstance, but I'm really happy I had the opportunity to see it. it. It's like I said, it's an experience. That's really all I ever ask when I sit down and watch a movie is it be an experience. I don't know if I'm going to go back, you know, but uh, <laughs> it's any, any positiveness that is said about both of these creators is, is right there on the screen. You know, it's not one of those situations where I'm like, I don't even understand what this guy Mike sees in this movie. Like, why am I watching this? Like, there, I didn't have, I didn't have one moment like that. So, I, I enjoyed it. I think it's beautiful. It's a gorgeous movie. I think it's an amazing uh, accomplishment of monochromicity, which is not really monochromatic, but it's very close to it. Right. And I, I wish the two of them were working together more. It's as mono, it's as monochromatic as Seven is. It's just dark. That's a good point. It's, it's, That's a good point. But you don't think of it like that way and, because and, it, and by the way, same director of photography. Is it? Darius I did Conti. not know that. Okay. Yeah. Well, that explains everything. That explains everything because Seven also has the same kind of dreamy quality, you know. Yeah. It does. A lot of it does. As seriously fucked up as that movie is. The process that they use to do that—it's a post process, I guess, called ENR that supposedly comes from the names of the people that invented it, but it has to do, it's a post-process. You have to feed the, basically you turn it into black and white, then feed it back through to put in some of the color, put some of the color back in. And it so it overblows some of the colors and desaturates some of the other ones. Wow. wow. And that's what gives it that. Well, that's well, a wonderful effect. Like- you can't do it for every movie, of course, but for the ones that you, no. you can do it for, <laughs> it's, it's, it's because I mean, the first thing you think about at seven is the visuals. You know, and then and then you yes. think about the mood, you know, and and then you think about Morgan Freeman and and Brad Pitt, like Watch you know, yeah, exa- well. <laughs> Listen, at the end of the day, everyone goes to what's in the box. I mean, <laughs> so as a as a as a complete sidebar, my mom went to go see that movie without me, and she came home, and I said, "Hey, so how was it?" And she went, "Holy shit!" And that's that was her full description. <laughs> that was her, that was her <laughs> full review of Seven. And then she went to her yeah, room, nice. and, and and I didn't see her for the rest of the evening. <laughs> I think she was working on on become, or, or, or re, reclaiming whatever she lost from the experience. But uh, well, me and Steve said when we walked out, that's for sure. <laughs> What's that? When we saw it, that's what we felt. Like, oh like, God! Holy shit. <laughs> so fucking so fucking good. We're talking about Delicatessen, and and it's a great movie. I I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So thank you, Mike. Yeah. Uh, so I found I did find two 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 different stories about the origin of the story uh, to Janae. Uh, so one person said that he got the idea for a cannibal butcher when living in an apartment above a butcher shop. And each morning at 7 a.m., he would hear the, the sharpening of the knives and a voice shout chop chop. His girlfriend said that the butcher was carving up the neighbors and that they were next. And uh, uh, and then another story is. <laughs> And, <laughs> and that, that's, that's not, not funny, funny at all uh and then 
and then the next the other story was that he got the idea for the movie while vacationing in america and he said that after staying in america's hotels he felt the food was so bad that it tasted like real humans oh, geez. <laughs> of which you would know <laughs> oh, right yeah I, I, I much know what I, taste like. I yeah. much prefer the living above the butcher shop story. I, I will say that according to the according to the uh, uh, commentary, the butcher shop story is the correct story. Oh, good, good. I'm glad. That's um, good. He hasn't tasted humans. And and interestingly enough, uh, Caro and Janae had actually planned City of Lost Children as their first film, and they could not secure the financing as first time directors to create a film with that budget. And right. that's why they went and made Delicatessen and did the shoestring budget because that's the financing they were able to get. And a lot of that cast is family and friends just because they needed they needed to be able to work on on peanuts. And again, that's why they you know, it's the sets are all basically it's all set inside one building other than that one excursion with her going underground. You'll notice that every time they shoot that that building from the outside, it's either. Uh, uh, a very Sesame Street like set of like, you know, where you really only see up to the bottom of the second floor, you know, anytime they show the upper floors, it's an upshot. And all you see is usually one window and a, and a piece of wall. You don't generally get, uh, you know, in, until the battle on the roof at the end, you don't really get shots of the sky from the close to the, you know, close to the building. So that was clearly set just as a flat set with the roof. You know, I, I mean, it's clearly not a real building. You know, all the sh- all the distance shots, the the, the sort of uh, setup shots of the building in any distance are clearly models. So you know that that's not you know there wasn't a building set around another bunch of bombed out stuff. But you know, he just he found a lot of really great. And the thing is, is all these little visual tricks. If you had included them in a film that was trying to be more feel more real would have felt out of place and felt like it was being done on the cheap. But because of the way that they shoot the film and because of the way it looks, you look at this stuff and it all just sort of in a charming way fits. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, everything it fits, well. everything fits together. And you're just like, you're just like, Oh yeah. Okay. You know, you would never at any point during that movie did I be, was I like, Oh yeah. I see why they had to do that because they didn't have the, you know, didn't have the bucks to really do that on a budget, but there's never a point in that movie where you question any of the design or production choices. That's a that's Correct. a virtue of the uh, uh, monochromicity, though, because like from from a coloring standpoint, like when you're recoloring elements that are not um, intrinsically linked together, if you if you desaturate everything and um, and lay down a, a definitive background color, like or, or or color filter, that will almost automatically tie everything in the piece together and then and then you go through and then you can pluck out the highlights but it's it's kind of a it's kind of a virtue of of using that using the monochromatic uh, technique if if you gotta you know if you want to up the the oh man i cannot speak tonight if you want to up the the production (laughs) quality of your sets or whatever surrounding you I know that from the paintings, you know, from from the Photoshop paintings and stuff that I do for other people. Right. All right. Uh, so that's delicatessen. All right. So so Mike's oh so interesting guilty pleasure <laughs> is a film called Six String Samurai from 1998, directed by Lance, either Mungia or Mungia. 
91 minutes long, uh, a lone Buddy Holly lookalike set in an alternate future heads to post-nuke luck, post-nuke, uh, I'm going to start this whole thing over. <laughs> Buddy, Buddy Holly and Guy Pierce lookalike. I thought that was good for, yep. for a brief hot second. I thought it was Guy Pierce. Yeah. A lone Buddy Holly lookalike in an alternate future heads to post-nuke Las Vegas to replace the recently passed Elvis Presley as king. He is trailed by a heavy metal crew led by their leader, Death, as well as an orphan child who he saved from an attack which took the life of his mother. All right, Mike, what's the story with this movie? <laughs> yeah. uh, so, annoying child aside... Uh, this is, <laughs> ah! oh my God, <laughs> this movie is like my, my, my friend litmus. If you like this movie, we can probably be friends. <laughs> if you don't, it might be questionable, but it, there are so many ideas in this movie that just should not work. And yet it, somehow it does. I mean, it's, it is somehow a, uh, you know, Elvis was king of Vegas. Uh, U.S. lost the Cold War. Soviets are running rampant, but everybody's having a shit time of it. Um, you know, uh, he's on his way to go be the king in Vegas because Elvis has left the building. Um, and he ends up with this kid, and there's weird music. It's like surf rock, and it is such a weird, bizarre it is not, it is objectively not a good movie, but I love it so much because it is just fun to watch. And they, you know, I just, I love it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's funny you say objectively not a good movie because strangely enough, this movie carries a, a 60 critic rating on oh. Rotten Tomatoes and a 77 viewer rating. And, and, I, and I, have to, I have to tell you, uh, so about 10 minutes into this movie, <laughs> I, I turned to Deirdre and I said, what the fuck are we even watching? <laughs> I get that a lot. And 20 minutes later, I was thoroughly engrossed. I, I, I have to admit, there are so many really cool things about this movie visually. I love a lot of, uh, first of all, a lot of the themes that they're working with in this film are, are, are right in my wheelhouse. So that's, that's the first thing. So it, it's an easy, it's a, it's low hanging fruit for me. It's, you know, it's, post-apocalyptic it's rockabilly it's you know it's you know the idea of this lone guy making his way on a quest it's you know a lot of these very simple very common done uh ideas the homages in this film are non-stop it's like literally every 15 minutes you you see something else that just alludes to some other film i mean there's the the ongoing mad max ism of the thing and multiple mad max takes obviously lone wolf and cub is is you know is right there the bizarre wizard of oz ending is <laughs> is just i mean and just straight rip it's not even they don't even they don't even try to like you know cover they, it up it's, they straight up tell him to follow the yellow brick road uh exactly exactly <laughs> like they're like it's coming they're i mean they may as well tell you it, at some point they're gonna dump water on a guy and he's gonna <laughs> fucking melt uh you know and and that and you're basically just that that's where you're at I think it's interesting. This movie was planned as a trilogy uh, and as a showcase for the lead character. And I never got the sense that the lead character from his kind of portrayal of that character that he seemed like he was all that interested. It never really seemed like 
And, you know, maybe that was part of his portrayal of that character. Maybe that was something he was doing on purpose, but he never really seemed to be that invested in what was going on other than the fact that he was very single-minded in his quest to, to get where he was going. Uh, this was a guy who was apparently, uh, I, I, I looked him up, uh, this Jeffrey Falcon, and he was a, he's been in like a ton of like Chinese and Hong Kong film productions. So the only thing I can imagine is he, he was living there and got into the film industry there as a martial arts guy, clearly, because all the stunt work was him with no strings, no wire work. It was all him just, you know, jumping around. And it's pretty obvious. It's that, you know, most of the stunts are just him jumping through the air and shot creatively. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, there's not a lot to this movie. However, I think that with a little creative editing, this film could actually be many, many, many levels better than it actually is. Right now, it's a series of scenes kind of loosely strung together to tell a story. And I feel like that with a little bit of editing help, this movie could actually be far better than it is. Now, that said, I, I didn't anywhere near hate this film as much as I expected to 10 minutes in. Uh, I, I actually kind of, I, it was kind of fun and refreshing. It's the kind of movie you see someone making and you're like, Oh wow. They managed to pull it off. Good job. You know, this, this is, this was fun. This was kind of, this was kind of cool. Some fun visual stuff. You know, they, you know, they didn't spend a lot on, well, anything really in this movie. <laughs> I, I love, I love the fact that like all the outfits were just like, okay, here's a set of clothes and this is what you're going to wear for the whole shoot. And here you go. I read somewhere that all of the costumes were Goodwill Dove. I don't doubt it. I, nothing really seemed like anything fit particularly well. So, I mean, I, that wouldn't surprise me really at all. You know, I mean, a, a film like this is easy to make when there's when you're not beholden to anyone. You know, when you don't have anyone that you that at the end of the day you have to explain why you're why you're making the choices you are. And you know, I think that gives a level of freedom to a filmmaker to do these kind of weird things. Uh, this guy went on to direct a bad straight-to-video crow film uh, many years later, but you know clearly, you know this this was a guy who who loves film and is just you know cherry picking a lot of stuff to throw together. And I, I think that he was successful to a point. It's not great, but it's not terrible. So uh, Hassan, go ahead and hit me. <laughs> I got I got some bad news. Yeah, well, we're I, not we're not going to be friends. That's fine. <laughs> I I understand. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you know what? Honestly, what you were just saying kind of kind of uh, altered my perception a little bit because I was. I did follow it through the whole thing. You know, the it, the the beginning is a little hard on you because it's so stylized. Yeah. And it, you know, that it's like, I oh, don't even know what's going on. I can't even see what, what, you know, this, I think if he had started out with a straightforward fight, you know, without trying to, without trying to be artistic about it, you would have been, it would have resulted, obviously not either of you because you liked it, but I mean, it would have resulted in me being locked in like, okay, I get it. And then, you know, okay, this, this kid's mom died. The kid's going to follow him around like a like a puppy and it, you know this guy's going to be reluctant uh, guardian of the kid while he's trying to get through this wasteland so he could get to vegas you know because he's 
in the beginning, he says, I got a gig in Vegas, right? So that's that's really cute. I understand everything you're saying about it being stylized and it being absolutely absurd and it, and it being wonderfully absurd. I love the idea that the, his, that the main villains or the main antagonists are other bands. Like it's a, you know, like as a musical yes. motif. The thing I hated about it is that there was no music in it. I mean, there was a, there was an overall droning um, soundtrack that, right. that he wrote that the, that the director, well, not the director, but um, yeah, what, yeah, he, he composed it. Um, and there's a lot of stolen stuff in it. There's a lot of, oh, you know, yeah. from, you know, homages, not stolen, you know, like <laughs> Dick Dale stuff and a bunch of other, yes. like, you know, um, which is, which is great. That's fantastic. But it's called Six String Samurai, and the guy hardly plays his guitar. You know, like he. Yeah. Till there's the end, a couple yeah. of moments where he's like, there, there's a there's a few moments, especially in the car, where he's strumming the stuff, and they're they're chasing him down. But if you're gonna go for absurd, like <laughs> every one of these bands should have had a moment. They should have been like a music video for every one of the villains. You know, and. It should have been. It, it could have been like, as Steve said, if it was directed a little differently. If you if you angled it slightly, if you I hate that I, I can't believe I say that. If you if you angled it more towards the absurd, it would because I think I think the problem I had with it is that it would be absurd up to a point, and then it would try to make sense, you know, and then it and then it would go right back to absurdity, you know, like, like it was just, too far of going too far either way. He wanted to yeah. have that level of absurdity, but he knew if he made it completely absurd, it would be unwatchable. And but he was, the, the, or he's afraid of that, I should say. Yeah. And that's the problem because like, when you, when you got a story where your, your spinach monster is real, you, you, <laughs> you're not turning back at that point. You know, there's, there's no, there's no coming back from that. I liked it. My problem with viewing it is I just kept seeing things that I thought could have been better instead of like, wow, this is kind of really very interesting. And I really, I, I can't, I can't kind of walk away from the fact that I was annoyed that the, a, a film called six string samurai, the guy, the, the, uh, the, the guy's guitar was a prop. It was like an afterthought. Right. So right. he could whip his sword out of it every, you know, every few, you know, the sword stuff was fantastic. His martial arts is fantastic. Most of those people were so despicable that you you wanted to see him lay the smackdown on those guys as you know as he went. Sure, through. of course. The kid was annoying as hell, but <laughs> you know I don't know why he had the same scream you know for the entire film. I don't know why it was that intentionally annoying. Like it, yeah, they they uh, mean that uh, for me until the last act when he started talking. You know? yeah, yeah, which is like Logan. You yeah, know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's a Logan situation. It's a crazy movie. It really is a crazy movie. Will I watch it again? Probably not. Um, <laughs> but it's a movie it, you might recommend to somebody, though. <laughs> yeah, I it it does. Yeah, well, yeah to enemies. No, I'm kidding. Um, Raheem, you need to watch this. <laughs> yeah, 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 watch this. Drop what you're doing and watch this right now. You're absolutely right, though. At like after after about five minutes ago, and this is this is completely incoherent. I can't follow this. Within within like ten minutes, I'm like, oh, I get, I get it, I get what's going on. I'm following it, you know. I, you know, like the weirdness of, you know, him walking to a gas station, you know, and stopping at a gas station even though he's on foot, you know, and then you know, yeah. there's, there's just a lot of this like really quirky strangeness 
that you just start to accept. You just come, yeah, of course, in a world like this, that's what you would do. You know, that's what would happen. Have you ever seen, or Mike, same question, have you ever seen the music video for the song called Reach by a band called Martini Ranch? Not that I recall. Okay, so write, write it down. I want you to go to YouTube and look it up and watch it. It's directed by Jim Cameron. It's a oh. so, Mar- so Martini Ranch was Bill Paxton's band. This was his little side band project. And they put out an album back in the 80s called it was by his band called Martini Ranch. So they did a video because at the time that was when Cameron was doing T2, Near Dark, all those films. Jeanette Goldstein is in it. Lance Henriksen's in it. Bill Paxton clearly is in it. And it's there's a there's a seven or eight minute basically mini movie video that they made for this song called Reach, R-E-A-C-H. And that's the name of the song by Martini Ranch. And I just kept thinking of this little video every time (laughs) during throughout this entire film, because there was so much of it that kind of reminded me of that world. But you got you definitely got to check it out. The, the the comment you made earlier about like if it had been directed a little differently or whatever. This movie does remind me of Fury Road in its own way. So if you think about it, if you think about elements of it, if you think about it with with a little more money, with a lot of, with a little more production fanfare, you know, it the visuals of this movie could have been amazing. You know, it's, it has a lot of potential for, you know, right. For, for being broadly mainstream. This movie reminds me kind of of El Mariachi, you know? Huh? Yeah. You know, so the, you know, and, and, the, and the slight, the, the sequel slash remake of El Mariachi was, was Desperado. Right. So, like, if, you, if they upscaled this, if they ever came back for a sequel and they upscaled it using, yeah. like, say... It's like Evil Dead, Fury Evil Road. Dead 2. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Using Fury Road as a template where the, you know, the... <laughs> I'm serious because the Fury Road, it's like the same visuals, the same aesthetic, you know, and the same absurdity right down to a guy with a guitar that's a flamethrower, you know, so there's there's the same level of of craziness that's at work. I think if you cleaned up the narrative a little bit and you made some of it a little bit more, some of the travel through the story a little bit more linear, I think that, like you said, with 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 a few more dollars, this would be a. This might be an interesting little film, especially if the music was front and center, right? You know, that there was a focus on the music itself, like a Blues Brothers style. <laughs> yeah, almost. Yeah, really. but like, but like sticking with that sort of that that almost fifties to sixties rockabilly. Oh well, yeah, like surf meant, rock if, feel. I mean, imagine a film if he had to gig his way towards towards uh, right, right Vegas, and then and, and and then also each gig would end with a sword fight. <laughs> but imagine if that's, you know, but, but, but the gigging is the, is the kind of the mainstream. That's, that's how he's being challenged each way. You know, that's right. why, that's how these battles are, they're, you know, playing out. Right. I think that would have, that would have captured both the nuances that the person was trying to get because he wanted a, he wanted a samurai story, but he wanted a rockabilly story at the same time, you know, and he slammed both of them together. I think he, he kind of, he cut short on the rockabilly and he, he, he went more samurai. Um, Right. And you know, I just thought that would have been more interesting. But it's like Scott Pilgrim without all the girl, all the boyfriends. Exactly. Well, without the without the video game motif. Yeah. Like, imagine if it said it was a video game, but it didn't have any of the video game gags in it. All right, Lay, your turn. I I made a list of 
<laughs> movie, and here it is. You made a list of it. <laughs> um, He's going to publish sorry, it. I'm, I'm sorry, what was that? A list of what? Of what I liked about the movie. Okay, all right. Um, no, I, I really, I, <laughs> I really, really dislike this film. Um, it feels like a couple of guys got together and they had some money and they had a band and they said, let's make this movie and we'll put the band in it and they can do the music for it. And I know some samurai moves and I'll have a guitar and I have all these disjointed ideas that don't really make any sense, but we'll try them and throw them in and some will work maybe and some won't and the ones that don't work, we won't make them better. And it's like watching a couple of filmmakers just, just like think that their idea is great. And to me, it was the opposite. I, I, I just, I, I haven't, I haven't disliked a movie like this in a while. I just, oh wow, I, I just, th there was nothing. I, I don't like to, I don't like people that make movies that steal everything from whatever came before it. I don't. And it felt like nothing was original in this. It felt like everything was something they had seen before. And this was just a fun little job or fun little thing they were going to do on the side. I was never entertained. The fight scenes, you know, they're all right. But then you've got the car, you know, when they're driving in the car and the cars are going five miles an hour. I, I just, I mean, just stuff like that. I haven't that. known about the five mile an hour car chase. I, I mean, that, but even, you know, <laughs> That doesn't mix well with they were running after samurai sword scene. I, I just, you know, I, I, but even as a, even as a filmmaker yourself, having, having completed two film projects and you, you can't appreciate what went into doing this and putting this together. Just, I mean, just from the, the, the putting it together process. I mean, a, a little bit, but it feels like they weren't even trying at times. It felt like, it's it's like all they needed was someone standing next to the director saying, you know what, dude, this is not working. This is not funny. Let's brainstorm for five minutes over here and come up with a better idea. Nah, we're not going to do that. We're just going to do this. I, I just, I, I appreciate the fact that they went and made a movie. I just, I found no joy in this. I tried to enjoy it. I tried to find things about it. I like there's some moments when the kids drive in the car. I mean, that I, I was thinking about <laughs> and the other about, car is launching gumballs at them. Yeah, I mean, not, <laughs> and they were about, eating them. Yes. <laughs> not, nothing about this entertaining me. And then I'm like, well, the kids okay. driving the car, that's kind of funny. So that's funny. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I'm trying, I'm trying to find something with this and you don't know that there's nothing that requires yeah, I mean, you to. I, that Mike seems like a great dude. I don't, you know, I don't want to not be friends with Mike, but no, it's fine. I'm not judging. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I, I will admit there are parts of this movie that, like, 15 years later, I still don't get. I still don't understand. Tag, you're it. I don't get it. I don't know where it's why. Yeah, I don't well, know why it's a movie. Yeah, I don't the know other what, little kid with the arrow yeah. on his back. Yeah, <laughs> I do not understand that bit. I've been watching that movie for like 15 years now. Never understood that bit. Not to this day, don't understand it. There, are, there is some weird shit in this movie that is never going to make sense. That's his homage to David Lynch. <laughs> yeah, there I, it is. That's a good point. I, I think sometimes if you just try and be weird a hundred times, 
you know, maybe seven of those times, if you don't have it plotted out well, seven of, seven of those things will be weird anyway. And it'll hit someone and be like, wow, that's really intuitive. I, you know, I never thought of life that way or whatever, but I, man, ah, I don't know, dude. I, I'm so sad about this experience. I'm not like, <laughs> wow. I just, I mean, I, there's I plenty of I movies I like that no one should like. So I, I mean, I, I, it's artist subjective. I don't know what else to say. I'm gonna give up right there. I just, I, that, I'm glad fair, I dude. People appreciate this movie. How about that? That's the best thing I come up with. Wait, wait until you hear that it was supposed to be a trilogy that worked in reverse. <laughs> The trilogy was supposed to go in reverse, and it was supposed to include Elvis mm-hmm. and the search for his magical blue suede shoes. Oh, boy. Oh. <laughs> that maybe, is fantastic. I, maybe, I didn't really like the music. I'm not a big rockabilly fan. or Right. I, I, you know, but I would give it a chance, you know, if it were presented better. You know, it's, it's like the Mandalorian without Baby Yoda. Instead, you've got this <laughs> fucking annoying kid, and... You know, the Mandalorian's already overrated. So this is, you can imagine what this would be. Oh, boy. Shots fired. Oh, yeah. I'm just lobbing <laughs> over Hassan's fucking boat right now. Oh, don't take offense. Um, don't take offense. You're, well, you're okay. Okay. Well, you know. So that's what speaking, I think about this. I'm film. speaking to Baby Yoda right now. That's, that's, oh, that's funny because on my screen, you're actually turning and speaking to Latham. So it's kind of amusing. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, yeah, literally he's, like, he's, please be okay. He's down to the he's diagonal of me oh, okay. on my on my screen. So, so. The, the important thing to note is this movie means something to Mike. And that's an important <laughs> thing to say about this. That is that is the most important thing. And the fact that it means something to Mike is the most important thing about this part of the show. Uh yeah, it was uh it was it was definitely one of those movies that uh that I I A I had never heard of it before Mike mentioned it, he brought it up and I literally had to go look it up. Yeah, and I was me like, neither. What the, fu- what the fuck are you even talking about? And, uh, and I, and I have to say that I, uh, I, I'm not, I, I'm not going to say that I, I would ever probably watch this again, other than uh, if someone brought up a similar situation film wise or something, I might say, I might compare this film to that. I feel that this film holds a position of li- enough likability in my mind that you could you could compare this or use this as you could almost use it as an example for other things um both <laughs> like to do this, and both to do and not to do um like this movie and, had a five mile an hour car chase so that the fp and uh uh turbo kid could run right <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and it's so funny and, well it's funny because they only shot the movie on weekends because the kid was in school so it's like they had to shoot only on saturdays and sundays because the kid was in school during the week. So, you know, they didn't even wait till like summertime to shoot it. They're just like, ah, eh, we'll just shoot on Saturdays and Sundays. But you don't want to shoot in the desert in the summer. <laughs> you, well, <laughs> that's true. That's very true. You, you don't, you know. You know those guys didn't have shit with them, so. It's like invading Russia in winter. You don't want to shoot in the desert in the summertime. Dude, listen, when I was, when I was writing that screenplay with my, with, with my buddy that we were going to shoot that film in, uh, in Nevada, the whole plan was based around the idea that he had a DP who was going to be available in the fall. There's just, there's no fucking way I'm shooting in Nevada in the middle of the summer. It's just not happening. Cause we, we had a, um, he's got actually a location in Nevada. He's got a ghost town that uh, he had all squared away yeah. and everything. And we had the first 
the first third of the the screenplay finished before the the whole kind of project just kind of got set to the side. But we'll get back to it. Never get involved in a land war in Asia. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. So that is Six String Samurai. I'm not sure this movie's probably ever been talked about this much. That'll be uh, that'll be an interesting thing to research. I guarantee you, in a billion podcasts, no one has chosen Delicatessen and Six String Samurai in a billion times. Yes. No yes. We're the first. <laughs> Mike, Wait, first. Mike is the first. Mike. Screw Wait, you, Internet. Or was the cannibalism uh, tie in? So. Oh, it right. had a through line. That's there was a right. Through line. Yeah. That's right. There you go. I completely missed the cannibalism tie-in. <laughs> I, I didn't intend it. I didn't realize it until um, yesterday. Oh. Like, oh, hey, I picked a movie about cannibalism, and then a movie with cannibals. <laughs> They're gonna wonder things about me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And oh. eh. <laughs> eh, I wouldn't. This guy likes to eat people. <laughs> I mean, I gotta I'm not finish this movie. <laughs> so that means that means there's only time to go one place. Oh, great! Down the tubes. And again, the internet is not something that you just dump something on. It's not a big truck. It's it's a series of tubes. All right, so gentlemen, start your poster files. I've got them. Ding. Everybody Why have is the it? first poster yep. from France and not the U.S.? Uh, what do you think? So again, uh, this is the this is the image that they mostly use throughout the entire campaign through most of the markets uh, all over the world. Again, they just adjusted the spelling and the uh, the titles to that, and it's the the pig that was mounted over the front of the door from the movie. So. Yeah, it's you know, it uh, it doesn't uh, you know, it is what it is. It's, it ain't it's, broke. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so this next film is the uh, this next is poster. the yeah this is the American uh, Miramax release. Yeah. Can't deal with minimalism, so they got to put this. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Contextual shot in the uh, in the middle of yeah, yeah. Uh, of, of a man with brown lettuce leaves uh, on his yeah. head. I mean, it's just. Yeah, it's asinine. The other one's well, and especially when you once you've seen the movie and you realize what the what this what this image is from and what it kind of what it's tied to, and you're just like, why? Why the what? Like, the, what the hell? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's literally a second in the film. So surprisingly, I was able to find some uh, some people. There's been there's actually been a number of art shows dedicated to the works of Jean-Pierre Genet uh, at a few galleries. So there's been actually a bunch of uh, movie poster, alt poster stuff done, uh, mostly for Amelie. Uh, there's a, a lot of stuff for Amelie, but I did manage to, to find some stuff for Delicatessen. So um, this one, you know, kind of, kind of gives away the, gives away the bank here by Bartosz Kosowski. Decent. Yeah. I mean, it's a nicely done image, but it just, you know, it kind of really just, you know, gives the farm away. It doesn't really, you know, give you much yeah. to, if you don't know. And this is actually, this is actually more visual than anything in the film. So, I mean, honestly, you know, we don't even, we don't even get a shot like this in the movie. Oh, you see that? Oh, that's something we forgot to mention when we were talking. The opening credit sequence is astounding oh, in that film. Oh, it's great. absolutely amazing. It's great. 
it and that's stands, not digital, right? That's like nope, that's I'm pretty practical. sure it's all practical. That's yeah. all practical. That, that's brilliant. That 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 may be one of the best things in the film. That that is one of my favorite opening sequences, right up there with uh, with not with uh, uh, sevens uh, opening sequences. Yep. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I agree. This next piece by Charles Cleary is a piece of uh, this is a piece of cut paperwork using a VHS case as the basic, and all the rest is. Cut layers of paper. I don't get. Oh, okay. So this is a 3D thing. Correct. Correct. Each one of those. It's not really a drawn image. It's. It was, this is a. Yeah. This is a physical piece of art. Okay. That makes worse. I was trying to figure out what it was. Yeah. So it's just. It's a. Just you know. I guess. Uh, yeah. You know. That also represent the underground. I don't. I don't know if it was that or if it's like cellular. Hmm. From a tissue standpoint, or from a from a, like I'm you know supposed to be like meat, you know, going through the skin a and marrow. like well, skin down through the layers of skin into the meat. Yeah, I don't know. Uh-huh. Either way, it's a it's a neat little uh, needle thing. He does he does these kinds of cut paper things with VHS cases. So I mean, it's a cool little idea. Uh, yeah. Next is by Ian Lampard. This is kind of funny. I think this is my favorite of the ones that you sent. Yeah, I mean, again, it kind of gives away the farm, but it's it, it's kind of amusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much, very macabre. Yeah, macabre is a good word. Filet, jambone. <laughs> so next is uh, Javier Gomez. Love this one. Love it. This That's one good. reminds me of uh, uh, Hitchcock. It's a, yeah, it's, it's it's very like saw vertigo or rope yeah, it's or something. Very saw bass. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just great. It's just design wise. That's a that's astonishing. Yeah. that knocks you right out. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, that that's that, that's a fun one. Uh, and then this next piece is, like I said, this was one of the ones that was done for an art show. Yeah. Jonathan Bergeron. Put some credits on it. It's decent. It was fun. It was <laughs> funny because I'd seen, I, I obviously I'd pulled the posters before I had actually seen the film. So I, I had seen these shots online and stuff of him with the, with the, with the cleaver in his head with Dominique Pignon. Uh, and that's not something else we didn't talk about is, is Dominique Pignon and like, yeah, he's, he's so good. He is. He that guy is freaking amazing. I know that he's, he's in all of now. and he's all and he's in all of Jeanne's films. Yeah, he just I I th- that guy is. Uh, I I would watch that guy do anything. I wish I would. Yeah. Every every director out there knew about him and just started putting him. Hundred percent agree. That guy is absolutely amazing. He seems like he was like a mime before he became an actor. He's just a street performer. Or something. Yeah, he's so ex- he's yeah, that's so even- expressive. The sequence where he's painting the ceiling, oh, you know, during the, oh, right. during the banging yeah. scene, you know, it's, it's a just, great just, montage. Not only that, but like yeah. the opening of City of Lost Children when he's the clones and all when they're when they're like they're all screaming and yelling and making all the faces and everything. He's so expressive. Yeah, he's, he's a good actor. It says yeah. one of those faces. Yeah. Uh, so next is he's even great in Alien. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Who are you? You expecting a Santa Claus? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so next is by Rad Act Photo. All right. Yeah. It's a very simple put together premise. I don't like it. Yeah, it's an afternoon homework assignment. Yeah, that's like, what it feels like. It yeah, feels there like you a, go. it not, feels like a like a project he had to do or wanted to go like together. Um <laughs> this next one is very simple, but I like it just simply because it has a human face on the pig and you don't notice it right away. Uh by Terry Posters. Uh, yeah. You know. Eh. <laughs> That's all right. That's decent. 
<laughs> and then, no, I'm taking that back. I don't like it. All right. That's better. Uh, and next. Ooh, this is one of my favorite artists, Unknown. Yeah, yeah. Very, very, very common. He's very busy. Yeah. The Unknown. Another yeah. Marcus yeah, guy. He's very prolific. The Unknown artist. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but you know, it, it, I think this one is is more successful than the other one, the other uh, homework assignment. Yes, it's it's just more involved. He he worked well, he harder, more thought into it. Yeah. Well, if the other yeah. one was a fifth grade homework assignment, this is like <sighs> a freshman year high school homework assignment. Wow. Okay. In other words, folks, I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> And that is the end of the delicatessen posters, unfortunately. Pretty. Yes. So moving on to six. It's almost quaint compared to the 2001. And, uh, oh, well, yeah. I mean, there's, listen, there's some movies that have been so completely done to death with stuff like that. And then you get, you know, so that's why, you know, him picking these films, I was like, dude, I'm not even going to be, I don't even know if I'll be able to find a regular poster for Six String Samurai, let alone. I but like movies nobody has seen. I found, I found fan art posters for Six String Samurai. I was blown away. I was blown. Yeah, that's got cult all over yeah, it, though. Oh, cult oh, hit yeah, all over it. Yeah. Niche. So this was the actual official poster. It's, pretty meh you know i'm mean, you managed to get a couple of positive quotes off there off of film threat and variety you know. that's your new best friend mike chris gore <laughs> i've met chris gore he's a nice dude <laughs> oh okay you actually are <laughs> oh, dude, there you All go right. <laughs> i remember film threat i have old issues to that i have the twin peaks one that was a cool magazine is it still around uh, i think it's digital now actually oh or it may what have gone back up there <laughs> <laughs> Never mind him. We can't take him anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so next, so next is the Japanese release poster. I actually really like yeah, the Japanese. So do I. It actually kind of fits. It's more fitting. Yeah. And I like the fact that it's he wrote everything's written back. You know, it's from right to left. Yeah. No. It's this is a. I like it. It's, it reminds me of um. Oh, I forget the guy's name. Fuck. It. David Max. <laughs> Ashley Johnson. Oh. Reminds me of Ashley Johnson art, like uh, robots and samurais. I mean, excuse me, robots and Amazons and, and Ashwood. Ashley Wood, yeah. Okay. I do that all the That's time. Right. I'm very proud of myself. No worries. I didn't know. I didn't know who <laughs> Ashley Johnson was, but I know who Ashwood is. Actually, you know what's ironic? Neither do I. I have no idea who Ashley Johnson is. <laughs> now that you've corrected yes. me, I have no idea I'm who sure, I'm talking I'm, about. Ashley I'm Wood. Sure they're very yeah. nice. Oh, yeah, they're, they're uh, probably both. So next people. is uh, Chung Kong Art. Uh, nice minimalist piece uh, involving Hassan's favorite uh, sword sheath, the guitar. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I dig this. I don't one. know why you would block out two of the strings if it's a six-string samurai. You well, know? not blocked out up above the sword. I didn't even notice that was a sword. That's a very... Fail. Very bad rendering of a <laughs> Fail. story. Fail. I like the I got a gig in Vegas quote in yeah, there. Too. Just, yeah, just thrown in. <laughs> uh, next. It is It is a fail, Lathan. I, I, I have failed. I apologize. No, I meant the artist failed. <laughs> yeah. But okay. Oh. Yeah, the artist. Damn it. <laughs> so next is a, uh, a. I agree with that. Festival screening poster by James Anderson. Yeah. This one bothers me. I don't know why. I don't. Well, like it bothers you visually, or it bothers you like is like it causes you. I just don't like looking at it. Causes it. you just, to lose sleep. It you no, know, it's not scary or you're bad. It's, it's spooky. Just, I, I don't like spending time looking at this one. 
There's something kind of Venture Brothers about yeah, it. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Ah, thus the two Vs. Oh. oh. Hey, Mike, this is this is introduction to of what I like to call Midnight Latham. Okay, he's a slightly different guy. Uh, it's the light of where I live. Right? <laughs> it's, it's, We're approaching the witching hour. <laughs> yeah, we are. We're almost almost one o'clock in the morning here. So here you go, Steve. Next poster's got six goddamn strings on the guitar. There right? you go. There he is, Travis Bundy. This is this is a nice uh, this is a nice looking old poster. It's got everybody you want. Yeah, this is not I can't bad. Fault this one. A lot of work went into it, and it shows pretty much everything in the film. Including that annoying kid, so you know, <laughs> with that same annoying expression and, on his face. And up in the upper right, it's got the uh, tag your it kid. Yeah. He's got the other yeah. kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, what is missing is the arrow sticking out of his back. It's though. got the weird underground guys, you know, who are trying to. They actually like submitted it. this film for rating. Who are trying to, uh, you know, eat the oh. eat the kid who won Thunderdome and. Uh, you know, <laughs> Okay. And then, then barter the ne- uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the next one, uh, our 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 favorite unknown. Ah, uh, yeah. Very, yeah. This is very got a very midnight movie feel to it. More yeah. work went into this poster than the film. Perhaps. Ah. <laughs> midnight late. Though. Midnight late. <laughs> yeah. And then next is a piece by uh, Victor Kor- Korodov. Korodov. Some guy. Good. Some guy from Russia. Korodov. <laughs> Going for that that standard, you know, uh, hanging onto the hero's yeah. leg with a sword in his hand pose. Yeah, this is uh, this is the this is the cover of the Kickstarter uh, exclusive graphic novel. <laughs> He's using the uh, I just learned how to use a paintbrush technique. Yeah. I really that's very uh, very time honored. Uh, that's right. <laughs> so it's funny you mentioned a graphic novel. There was a comic book before or after. That's what I told them. Uh, it was after, but uh, um, it was done through Liefeld, through Extreme. Oh. Uh, I have bought it on eBay twice and never received it. What? Oh. It, so maybe it I does, bought it a maybe third that's time. The, maybe that's the trick. It doesn't even really exist. People <laughs> just mean, keep selling it. I bought it a third time this week, actually. <laughs> uh, it hasn't arrived yet, so we'll see. Who, uh... So it was put the out. The definition of insanity is repeating the same action over and over. Again. Expecting a different. I'm I don't aware. like hearing you're losing money for something. You I, I'm. I'm also. I'm also in IT throughout the week, so I'm used to banging my head against something. For oh, a okay. Uh, <laughs> so you just blended in with that. All right. Yeah. 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 All right. So, uh, and that is the uh, that is the end of posters for Six String Samurai. I listen. I, I have to say, I I, I would, did not expect to find anything other than a simple release poster for that. So that was actually kind of fun. There was actually more. There was a lot, there was a bunch of uh, fan art stuff that I found, but uh, it wasn't really poster material. So I didn't, I didn't bother putting it in because Latham just would have hated all of it. So (laughs) I just looked it up and hated it. Not Latham, midnight Latham. Yes. Regular Latham might've liked it. So from (laughs) nine o'clock Latham might've liked (laughs) it. Anything at any time. It doesn't matter what time of day. Nine nine o'clock Latham would have accepted it. Midnight (laughs) Latham. No dice. And I think there's no mercy from midnight Latham. (laughs) So from there we go into our martini. Jean-Pierre Genet has directed uh besides a bunch of a lot of short films and some tv stuff but for the most part uh he's done one two three four five six features 
seven, including uh, Delicatessen. Uh, I'll give you the, the a quick rundown of them with their Rotten Tomato ratings. Delicatessen is a 89, and then Amelie at 88, City of Lost Children at 79, A Very Long Engagement at 78, The Young and Prodigious T.S. Spivet at 76, Mick Max at 72, and then Alien Resurrection. And actually, I have to I have to admit that I'm I was surprised that it was as high as it is, considering how much hate is generally thrown in the direction of Alien Resurrection. Uh, but it got a 55, which, by the way, this is the only screenplay, the only filmed screenplay that he did not write. As we all know, Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon wrote it. Wow, I didn't know that. No, no. Nope. Oh. So. Uh, so, yeah, so. And I know, I know Latham feels very strongly about very long engagement. Yeah, it's that anomaly are his, I think his two best films. I mean, they're both, I mean, Amelie is just a classic and very long engagements. One of those films that just builds as it goes and it's just beautiful to watch and, and it hits you in the last scene. It's a, a, a you know, if it, it weren't a French film, it would probably, well, yeah, it's, I'm trying to think of it's accessible. It's, it's pretty. Yeah, it's fairly accessible. I would say. I think people would would enjoy it. I wish they do a really nice U.S. release. I had to scrounge to find a DVD copy of a very long engagement. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I wouldn't even know where to start with that. I'd like a copy someday though because I I really enjoy that movie. I I have not seen Spivet, Very Long Engagement, or Amelie. So of the ones I've seen, Delicatessen, City of Lost Children, and Micmax. And Alien Resurrection, I would probably uh, say that his his best film for me is City of Lost Children, and that's simply because probably simply because of the of the just the absolute fantastical sort of elements that are involved in that film. And whereas uh, Delicatessen has some of those fantastical elements, it's far more grounded than City of Lost Children is. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say in reality, but there's far more sort of unreal things going on in City of Lost Children. Um, you're talking about a guy who steals dreams, you know, clones, clones. You know, there's a lot of crazy sci-fi fantasy tech going on. Uh, Ron Perlman and then the great Ron Perlman. Um, so, uh, but uh, outside of that. Uh, I, I think that overall, uh, you know, he's got, like I said, he's got a new film coming out in 2021 on Netflix called Big Bug. I, I think it's a guaranteed watch. I, I think that he is, he's uh, proven himself to be a filmmaker who is, is someone you would give the benefit of the doubt to in any way, shape, or form. We talk a lot on this show about the, uh, the efficiency of, of writing and the efficiency of a screenplay and a film. And, uh, and Delicatessen is actually pretty, is, is, is right up there. There's not a whole lot of wasted space in that movie. No. There's, there's a lot going on. And, and, and like I said, he gets, he gets the point across for everybody and everything and uh, gets right to it. Uh, you know, you could argue that, I mean, the, the troglodytes and their whole sort of outside quest which they never really dig into too deeply, and that's fine. 
Um, right. I can, I always just sort of assume that they're, they're like the eco terror. They're kind of like eco terrorists. They're like, they're out and trying to make the world a better place and save our food supply. And, and kind of reminded me of Brazil. Yeah. A little Their bit. Yeah. Change way. And that they were just sort of there. And, and I you know we don't, I don't, I, I didn't feel unrequited, you know, about their setup or anything, not having more about them. So I, I, I yeah. think it was fine. They're a thing that exists in the world. They're set up in a couple spots. Yeah, and I like the. Yeah, I like um, the f- then there's a payoff, and that yeah. they're there. And so. I like the fact that she sort of had this relationship with them, so that she could like go and make this deal, and you know, kind of create the impetus for the whole invasion of the building and everything. So that was that was you know, it all worked out. So it was nice. It's nicely done. It's a nicely made film. It's uh, you know, it's efficient. Uh, one of the reasons there's so little. They're, they're so little wasted is because they rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed everything. Oh, but then he would, he would do little things where they would rehearse like the, the tea, the, the tea yeah. uh, scene. Oh, uh, they rehearsed so and rehearsed great. and rehearsed that. And at the very last minute, he told Dominic Pinion to uh, first off, the flowers were newly introduced as they were shooting. So when, uh, when she opened the door and he handed her flowers, that had never been part of it before. So he was forcing an improvisation. Right. Then he also had him sit in her chair instead yes. of his chair. I, I see that I thought was planned because that was clearly part. She did so much to, to practice sitting in the space and, you know, so she could operate without her glasses. And then, of course, she fucks it all up by sitting in the wrong seat. But And that was the intent, but he didn't tell her that. Right. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> that's That's great. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I, I mean that that whole scene is like that. I, I might argue that that might be my favorite sequence in the film. Is that that, se- that so scene good. where he comes over to her apartment and the whole thing, you know? And he's like, you know, the the fact that he was like a circus performer, like just lends the the fact that he's like following the tea with the thing. It's almost like an old Buster Keaton bit, you know, where it's like absolutely, <laughs> it's fun. That it was good stuff. But um, yeah, it was a couple of fun movies. That uh, good choices, Mike. Hassan, thoughts? Um, I've only seen three of his films. I've only seen City of Lost Children, Delicatessen, and Alien Resurrection. And that would be in the order of the level of greatness as far as I was concerned. So City of Lost Children would become first. Delicatessen is now a close second, now that I've seen it. And and then, you know, Alien Resurrection. And Alien Resurrection is on there because it has to be on there. <laughs> it would, it would not be on there. Often, but, what what huh? was that like? I don't think Alien Resurrection's that bad. I, uh, it, neither do I. It's it's really violent at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. It, it gets you at times, and uh, it's, without getting, yeah. without going too deeply into it, it's it's got a fantastic beginning. Yeah, oh, yeah. A, a really good middle. You know, um, up until they the get up until Michael Wincott gets killed, and then it just starts to the whole thing starts to come apart for I, I me. Agree. I agree. I think, yeah, I I agree. But it's it's fantastic. I mean, the Dan Hedaya is, is magnificent. It's the got setup a great is, cast. is great. I mean, that cast. Yeah, is, the is Betty. Amazing. Um, and then they just start. It's it's almost like okay, we're we're getting late into the into the production here, and we haven't killed off enough characters. Right. And, and then, then so now characters like just start. Cast. Yeah, and it's like. Yeah. These are not meaningful moments for me. Right. Um, They're just violent. It's almost like they said, shit, we haven't got enough alien involved in this yet. The aliens only chase the main characters once in the whole film. And that's the underwater sequence. Now, that has never been seen before, so it was wonderful. But 
that's not what we came to an alien movie to see. And you see a whole bunch of you see Brad Dourif piss off an alien for ten minutes, and you know what's going to happen to him. <laughs> you know, you right. and any and any alien escapes, and he goes into the room to look for it as though if it was still there, he could do anything about yeah, it. Right. You know, You're going the wrong so, way, dude. Yeah. yeah, so there were there were there were things about it that are, but that doesn't matter. It's beautifully shot, just like all of um, all of his movies. It's got it. It has so many layers in the in the very beginning, especially with Hidea and um, and Michael Wincott, who it's, who's absolutely never done anything wrong in my in, in the entire time I've ever seen the man on screen. Is that Wincott? Michael Wincott. Oh yeah, yeah. I, Michael, I, he's never done. I've never had any. I would agree with that. Everything I've ever seen him in, it's been wonderful. He was fantastic in this, mm-hmm. and his his relationship with himself, his crew, even um, uh, even Winona Ryder fit right into that okay. that ensemble really nicely. And then as soon as Michael Wincott died, it started to get really stupid. It's like <laughs> it's almost like like literally Michael Wincott died because he was like, "Hey, look, a quarter," and he just yeah. he just wanders off. <laughs> he gets killed. Yeah, it's like, yeah. what? You know, so it's like two thirds of a good movie, and then he biffed it. Yeah, yeah. That's you know, I mean, it, it, and there was there's some even moments. There's some uh oh moments I've had. I remember when I first saw it, and I was really enjoying it up until Dan Hedaya threw a CGI grenade. Rim, he did a rim shot with a CGI grenade into that's, a that's right. escape pod, right. and I'm like, wow, what a waste of an escape pod! All your troops, <laughs> and you know, just to kill one alien, like. <laughs> And and then seconds later he gets killed. So it started to take on a weird weirdness. But I do, I I, I was wrong. It's not a terrible movie. I do like uh, two thirds of that movie. Barely misses, just barely misses. I think. And then the, and then hybrid thing. I don't know why they. Yeah, did that. That, that, that's weird. It's and then and then they kill it, and then they make you feel sorry for it. Like it's right. such a strange. You know, it's a weird evolution. It's an awful, awful <laughs> thing. Just an awful. It does kind of feel like a Joss Whedon thing, though. Right, right. Humanizing, the, uh, Mike, humanizing you, a creature. Yeah. Mike, what do you think of Amelie? Where does that rank with you? I'll be honest. Except for Alien, it's it's my least favorite. Oh, okay. Interesting. I, I, it is. That does not mean it is not still very, very good. It just oh, yeah. means that I really enjoy all of his movies. Oh, okay, but it's low uh, on your ranking. Okay. I mean, of seven movies, it's in the top seven, uh, so well, <laughs> six. But uh, uh, but they're all, but all of those movies are still above most other movies. Oh, so. I see what you're saying. Okay. Right, it's like it's, it's like those, ranking Pixar films. Yeah, it, it it's cold pizza is still pizza. Yeah, the worst Pixar film is still better than eighty percent of everything else that's out there. I mean, have you seen the Good Dinosaur? No. Actually, I <laughs> Uh, why don't we say Spielberg films? Why don't we just <laughs> we'll even it out? We did, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, did, we did Spielberg <laughs> films two weeks ago. I'm just saying the worst Spielberg film is is still probably ten times. But well, no, I don't, 1941 is pretty bad. Yeah, uh, Hook. It's still better than a lot of movies. Hook was a 29, buddy. Hook is magnificent. <laughs> Hook is. Stop it. Pan the man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Stop it. Um. Yeah, that's 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 a fight. Um, yeah, yeah. This so, yeah. was good though, man. I I really appreciate both of these movies. I really had a I had a blast, even even in my confusion. 
you know, like <laughs> what in God's name is happening? You know, I still, and that was for both movies. There were a couple of moments for that in, in both movies. Like what is going on here? Why is there snails all over this? Oh, now he's eating them. Okay. I guess. Yeah. That, that you know, fucking like, guy in the basement who they never really did anything with other than just showing <laughs> you his whole universe is just amazing. He's and the not kids in trying, the basement. And the kids are, yeah, he's not. And the kids are so hungry. They're trying to capture his frogs to eat them, you know? So as as gross as that guy he is, he wasn't in the basement. The people they were on the on the street level, reaching in through the window. That's one of the things that he was saying in the commentary is that everybody thinks that he's in the basement because of the way they shot it, and he really regrets that. But he's actually above everybody else. That's why when you see the water stains in the ceiling in other They're spots, all from yeah, that's because it, him. it's because of him. That's a good point. Interesting. Great point. Huh. All right. So there, there's apparently a diagram floating around somewhere of where everybody was in the building. Oh, um, oh but, like a maps. Uh, yeah, but uh, uh, apparently he was he was up towards the top floor, and he was just kind of dripping down. Well, then how were else. they outside his window? They were hanging out on the on the fire escape, probably. Yeah, that's that's yeah, I keep, I, yeah, that's a knowing that actually. I won't say it takes yeah, away from it, but that's, the that's basement a, when you first see him. But right. He spent a lot of the commentary shitting on his own movie that's, and how, well, that's how, funny. He, how he wished he had got, he could go back and change things oh, and do them bad. better. Eh. I mean, it's still a great movie, but he's not going to ever see anything, any of the virtue of his own film. No, you know, that's, no, that's the, the horrible thing about being one of these creative people. Yeah, know, it's right? like, you're never going to see it. But I mean, look, it, it's, you get, you get the impression of basement because the guy's standing ankle deep in water, you know? Right, well, so I thought he was basically just, in a big, in the basement bath, you know, essentially it would make the most sense. He had all the raw plumbing out everywhere. He could just turn the pipes uh, on, you know, the kids are uh, kind of reaching in through the thing, but yeah. The, and the huge pile of shells and he's just like, eats a snail. And then it's just like, Floop! it's like click. Yeah. He's <laughs> the only one who's not begging the butcher for, for meat though. He's the only one who's not hungry. He's always That's eating true. snails. <laughs> He's got oh, half God. of a food group. Fucking, <laughs> 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 fucking amazing. All right, Mike, thanks so much, man. I, this was a lot of fun. This, <laughs> this is this was two fun movies to uh to step into. So for sure. Thanks for having me. So thanks to Purple Planet Music. Get your own awesome music at Purple Planet, purple-planet.com. Please check out our website at Cinemental Pod for all the poster images we discuss on our Down the Tube segments. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy your podcast. You can also listen to our episodes at cinementalpod.com. Also, follow us on all major social media accounts at Cinemental Pod. For Asan Godwin, Latham Conger III, and myself, we say thank you so much for listening. And as always, in the words of our friend and mentor, Truman Burbank, Good afternoon, good evening, and good night, Luke. And there you have it. It's like magic. <laughs> there are one in the can. <laughs> right? How many are in that can? We gotta we gotta replace that can. Twenty There's too many in the 22 can. Twenty two in the can. No way. This is episode twenty two, buddy. You guys are way too productive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I mean it's it's honestly it's because probably it's because, you know, like there's like five or six shows got split into two episodes yeah you know that that yeah, i just finished the matt hawkins one doesn't matter man that's that's a that's still a lot you know
It doesn't. I mean, even even if we split them up, we still did the work. You know, we still provided the content. You know, okay. so and a lot more content than is and it is actually out there. Because I mean, as you well know, like I said, you know, these calls go. You know, like we've had calls go for four and a half hours. You know that we recorded like the material for all of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, she's gonna show up, show up a couple of years down the road. 